This is the Kingdom at Hand podcast from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota. Our Sunday worship is at 10 a.m. and our Sunday school is at 9 a.m. We can be found online at www.hosannafreelutheran.com. We're on YouTube at Hosanna Free Lutheran Church. And our podcast is The Kingdom at Hand, and you can find that on your favorite podcast app. If you like this or if this is beneficial, make sure that you like and subscribe. And we pray that God would bless you through this. Our sermon today is entitled Holy War. I was going to title it Jihad, but I thought I'd probably get like removed. So I just said Holy War. We're sticking with that. Judges 3, verses 1 and 2, and I read in Jesus' name. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. Let us pray. Father, as we come to strive to understand this, Lord, and to apply it into our lives, we pray that you would bless us, guide us, be at work in us. Lord, that you would be glorified through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so, as, as you can tell, there's not really a lot of verses there. Um, but there's a lot in these verses. Because as we, well, as... Nathaniel's Bible study, or yeah, Bible study, Sunday school class, talks through, we, we observe, we interpret, and we apply. And so when it comes to something of this sort, it, the observation really isn't that hard because there's, not, there's you know, not a huge number of words there. We're not reading a whole paragraph. We're just looking at a couple of verses. And so the interpretation part's pretty easy too because it's pretty straightforward. You know, this is what God is saying. There's a couple of things in there that are pretty difficult, and we'll get into those as we go through. But most of this is going to be an application. Like, how does this sort of stuff actually apply to our lives? How do we take this story and bring it into 2019? 20. Good grief. You can tell I don't write many checks. Um, Into 2020. How do we bring this and bring it into now? And in order to do that, we have to really look at the, the layers of application. And what do these, what do these words, how do, we, how do we take these words like nations and Israel, how do we think about them? We have to move them into the abstract and then bring them from the abstract back into the concrete. And don't worry if you don't understand that. We'll try to, I'll do my best to show that. And so the nations... Now, these are the nations that the Lord left. And so the nations at this point are those peoples that are actively attacking the people of God. You know, they are those other than the people of God. So what are those that are other than the people of God? They are the people of Satan. And so the Israelites were to be the tools of God into this world. They were to be revealing God in everything that they did. And that was, that's our job too. That's our calling in this world. In every way that we interact with this world, we are to be tools of God. And so these nations then, if they're not tools of God, who are they tools of? Satan. What does that mean? Who are these people? Well, nowadays, who are modern tools of Satan? Nations. You know, does Satan use nations 
in order to propagate his desires. You know, in order to bring harm. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Like, does Satan use whole nations to bring that about? You know what? I'm sad to say he does. He still does today. There are ungodly nations who, as a governmental body, have given themselves over to the work of Satan. You know, and we pray that that wouldn't be our nation. But this is a reality. Religions. Are there religions out there that their desire is to steal, kill, and destroy? Yeah. How about denominations? Well, maybe not kill, hopefully. Maybe. But what if a denomination starts preaching heresy? Starts teaching heresy? Starts teaching lies? If a Christian denomination stops being Christian, then what are they? They're a tool of Satan. You know, that's scary to think about. It's not just, you know, they're... They're, they're the other Christians. It's like, uh, no. If they are actively propagating the teachings of the devil, they're tools of the devil. You know, that's, that's reality. We don't have this spectrum of, you know, these are Satan's people and over here are God's people and everyone in between, you know, we kind of belong to both. No, that's not the way this is to work. It's not the way this does work. So if denominations can be tools of Satan, can individual congregations be tools of Satan too? Oh, you know what? That's really sad, but it's true. So these are nations that God has left to test the people of Israel. Families. Can families give their lives over to the evil one? Yeah. Can they be used as tools of Satan to bring about the work of Satan? Yeah. Can individuals be tools of Satan? Yeah. Can situations be tools of Satan? Yeah. And so when when the author of the book of Judges here says, now these are the nations that the Lord left, we can say these are the tools of Satan that the Lord left. Why didn't God clean out all ungodliness absolutely at the crucifixion of Jesus, at the resurrection of Jesus? He could have just went... Boom! And Satan would have been gone. And sin would have been gone. And everybody except the righteous people would have been gone at the resurrection of Jesus. Why didn't God do that? Well, probably because there would have been like, I don't know, 12 guys. (laughs) But even so, probably a little more than that, but whatever. Why didn't God do that? God left these nations. God left these individuals. God left these congregations. God left these denominations. God left these religions in order to test Israel. These are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel. So who is Israel? I'm glad you asked. Israel. Godly nations. You know, can nations give themselves over to the Holy Spirit in order to do the work of God? You know, I hope so. Otherwise, I don't know why I'm praying for the United States. You know, otherwise, I don't know why I'm praying for these other nations in the world. I am praying that they would, that these governmental bodies would give themselves over to the Lord in order to do the Lord's work instead of in order to do the work of someone else, i.e., Satan. Can religions be tools of God? 
I hope so. Otherwise, why would we be Christians? You know, can denominations be tools of God? Yes, these are the ways by which God brings his truth into the world. He does that at a denominational level. He does that at congregational levels. He does that at the family level. God wants to use your family to bring the truth of God into this world. He wants to use your family. I don't care if that's a family of one or if that's a family of 14 or 18 or whatever. You know, I don't care how many generations are in there. That's God's desire for your family. I can say that right here, right now, in an absolute sense. God's desire for your family is that you would bring the truth of God into this world as a family. God's desire for you as individuals would be to be tools of God into this world. You are Israel. Your family is Israel. You, your, these situations are Israel. Ways by which God is working in this world. These things are Israel. So when we read Israel here, we have to expand that out and look at that at every level. We can't say, well, you know, God's working on an individual level, but God doesn't work on a denominational level. Like, well, if God doesn't work on a denominational level, I'm just going to leave. Because why would we be AFLC? You know, why would we? It would make no sense. Why would I be Lutheran? Ah, whatever. I'm just going to believe whatever I'm going to believe. No, God works at these levels. That's why we have these levels. That's why we have these denominations. That's why we have separate congregations. You know, that's why not all of the Christians in St. James just gather together in a big building and then we cast lots to see who's going to preach that day. Wow, what a mess that would be. You know, why don't we do that? Because we're saying, we want to represent God in this manner. We are striving to represent God at an individual level, at a congregational level, at a familial level. We do this. And see, the interesting thing is, as those levels interact, I'm actually going to go back one. Um, so that third point, the third sub-point, that's the battle. These levels battle each other, and we battle on these levels. Like nations, a godly nation should be battling ungodly nations. And so a nation that seeks the Lord should be doing battle on behalf of the Lord. You know, there, I, I'm, I am not a pacifist. I believe there is a place for war. You know, should we go into wars willy-nilly and for the sake of money? No, absolutely not. But can I stand here and say that, you know, World War II wasn't in some ways just? Yeah. Absolutely. Can I say that for every single war that's always existed? Uh, no. But in all honesty, I have a hard time really discerning that because I'm not in the midst of all of that. But you know, nations need to battle. And they don't just have to battle through wars. They can battle through politics. You know, they can battle through posturing. A bunch of roosters out there. Or they can battle through economics. They can battle in these manners. And those are good things. There's a place for that. But it has to be done in its place. How do denominations do battle? Denominations do battle by articulating the truth of the word of God. And so as like one denomination articulates the truth of the word of God, and then another one says, no, that's not true, and then they have to articulate the truth of the word of God. Actually, you know what that does? That brings us closer to the truth of God. Because as a Lutheran, I can stand up here and say, 
you know, I probably don't have absolutely everything right. Okay, I didn't get an amen, so I'm good with that. Um, <laughs> I was kind of expecting it. You're right. No, I, you know what? I, I can say that. I strive towards the truth, but in our Sunday school class right now, we're learning about Eastern Orthodoxy. Why? Because in light of Eastern Orthodoxy, I'm learning more about Lutheranism. You know, so that's why we study other denominations. When we learned about Islam, I learned more about Christianity. Why? Because as I'm studying that religion, I'm learning more about mine. You know, without that pushback, we don't go deeper. And so we need that pushback so that we can go deeper into the truth. This exists at a congregational level. So what happens if you're in a denomination and they embrace, and part of it embraces heresy, part of it doesn't? Well, within that denomination, they have to start articulating these things. Why do I believe what I believe? Like, why does this group believe that? Like, the Methodist Church right now is going through that big split. I don't know, remember which Methodist Church specifically denomination is going through the big split because one side saying we should embrace, we should embrace homosexuality and accept homosexuality as a legitimate expression of sexuality, and the other side is saying it's not biblical. We can't be doing that. And so, what's happening? How do you battle at that level? As congregations within a denomination. You know what? You split. If one side, if you can't come to an agreement, you split. That's how you battle. You actually have to separate yourself from them. And people, people say, you know, this is, this is dishonoring to God. It's like, actually, Paul says, <laughs> we need factions because they show who is approved. Is that 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians? Bruce, would you look that up? Appreciate that. So Bruce will get to that. So factions are a reality. There's a place for them. And that place is to teach us. Teach us how to do battle. Like, why does this stuff exist in our denomination? To teach us how to do battle. We don't just, you know, embrace everything that comes to us. We should question. We should question it. So that we know how to do battle. You know, families. This happens amongst families. That's why sometimes you don't want to hang out with another family. Why? Because they're a bad influence. You know, and so then I keep my kids away from them. Why? Is it because my kids are so, like, naive and innocent and weak? Like, No, because I don't want that influence in my life. Let alone theirs. Individuals, situations, it all exists. We do battle at every one of these levels. And the, well, so then we get into the purpose of that battle. Why did God give that battle? That is, all in Israel who had not... First ex- Corinthians eleven nineteen. Nathaniel said. So Bruce, you were beaten. That sword drill. Come on, man. <laughs> um, so 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen says that we need factions in order to show who is approved. Um, I'm not going to turn to there right now. In order... All in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war. Note that word, only. Why did God leave the nations? Didn't we just talk about the fact that God left the nations because Israelites weren't following God? We talked about that like two weeks ago. We talked about that last week. And so now God is turning around and saying it's only because of this. 
And so since the English didn't make any sense, I went to the Hebrew. You know what this Hebrew word can also be translated as? Thinly, or altogether. So that's why I have this picture of veneer. I know Kevin probably got excited when he saw that. Um, You know, what is veneer? Veneer is a thin surface layer. But is veneer very strong? It's only as strong as all everything below it. And so thinly, or that surface layer, or that, that, that primary level, that all together, so all of these reasons that God has, they ultimately come together into this reason. Like a, a thing of plywood, it builds up to that top layer. And so all of these reasons that God has for, bringing, for leaving the nations there, because of the sin of the Israelites, in order to show the power of God, for all of those reasons, God is bringing that here, and he says, all of those lead up to this idea of testing. And this idea of testing, um, that you might know battle, that the genera- generation of, Z- of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. Like, that's what God is doing. God is bringing all of these difficult situations into your lives. God is using all of these non-Christians. God is using all of these heresies. God is using these sinful nations. What is God doing with them? Why doesn't God just get rid of them? Why doesn't God just get rid of the sinful people in my life? They're a real pain in my rear. No, why doesn't he do that? What's he doing? This is what he's doing. He's trying to teach you to wage war. He's trying to teach you how to walk in righteousness. That is the primary battle. That is the first and the foremost battle. That is the most important level. God is saying, this is the one I want you looking at. All these other levels exist, but this is the one I want you looking at. When you face hardship, I want you to see this as an opportunity to be faithful to me. Because that's what that primary battle is. Are you going to be faithful or are you not going to be faithful? Are you going to trust God and walk in his ways? Or are you going to trust you or some other psychoanalyst or something or Dr. Phil and walk in his ways? I would say Oprah, but I don't know if she, is she on anymore? No, she's, so it's Dr. Phil nowadays or whatever, Dr. Oz, Dr. X. All these doctors. What's with these doctors? Crazy stuff. Doctors. But that's the primary battle. Are you going to trust the Lord and walk in his ways, or are you going to follow the nations and walk in theirs? Are you going to trust the lies of Satan and walk in his ways? That's the battle. That's what war really is. And so why are non-Christians around us? Like, why would God allow non-Christians to be in Hosanna? Is that possible? Yep. Is it because we have failed? Not necessarily. It's in order to teach us to walk in the truth. Like that's what's that's the purpose. Every hardship we go through, as I was reading this, that's why I stopped here. I got kind of excited because now I understand. I understand. Why like why did Kirsten and I go through infertility? Are we gonna trust God? And walk in God's ways? Or are we going to despair? We're going to walk in Satan's ways. Are we going to try his desires and his tactics? You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to do that? 
That's the battle that we fight. So, you know, God says earlier, though, it's because of punishment. Does punishment play into this? Yeah. Actually, pretty handily, too. It's not that, that's not the primary level, but God works punishment through this, too. God works destruction because God says uh, in, let's see here, that he would bring harm upon them. Oh, and they were, uh, verse 15, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. Like God's bringing destruction upon these people. So why did he, how did that fit in with him testing them? So they weren't walking with the Lord, deviating from God's paths. Okay, so what did God do? God sent them a test. Because every test is an opportunity. Every test, every struggle, every trial, every, every difficulty, every fear, every, every time for forgiveness, you name it. Every time that you encounter something that's a little bit difficult or super duper difficult. Super duper, yeah, that, the duper. Um, difficult. What is that? That is an opportunity to see whether or not I'm going to follow God. And so God brings that. And then I follow Satan. Okay, so what does God do? God brings another one. And now what do I do? Am I going to follow God or am I going to follow Satan? I already followed Satan once. I already went left once. That's my right, but it's your left, so I'm going to use that. I already did that once. Now I'm going to do it again. And what happens is you keep doing that? It's going to bring destruction. It's going to get worse. That's, what the, that's where the punishment lies. God's going to bring you to such a trial that if you don't pass this one, it's going to destroy you. If you don't walk in faithfulness this time, it's going to destroy you. That's what the wars in Israel represented. You know, that God was there for their harm. If you guys aren't walking in faithfulness, wars are going to come. If you're not walking in faithfulness, Ultimately, they're going to come to such an extent that this is either going to make you or break you. That's scary. You know, and that's what God's talking about here. So how do these, how do these trials act as punishments? God will bring one so bad, so hard, that if you refuse his faithfulness, you're done. Does that make sense? I hope that's functionally terrifying you know this is why we walk in faithfulness at every moment so that god doesn't need to bring us to those trials so he doesn't need to bring us to those breaking trials but that we would reform now wouldn't it be better like what parent is out there that would rather punish their child severely or punish their child just a little bit i'd rather tell my children no than have to send them to their room you know i would rather that and I just say, hey, don't do that. And they're like, okay. Wouldn't that be great, parents? Wouldn't that be great? It'd be awesome. <laughs> Not just children. Sometimes husbands. No, no, don't say that. Um, so what does this look like? How does this illustrate it? You know, as, as I was thinking through this, like, that's not the way we normally look at the world. Not the way that I normally look at the world. So we're going to take some time and actually look at some illustrations that God gives us in Scripture. One of those, and that's why I have the diamond there, because it's through that pressure and that heat that gets put on a person that they really change. 
The difference between graphite and diamond. Pressure, heat, and time. You know, and so, church discipline. What is church discipline? Church discipline is the playing out of this thing, of these trials. So, we'll use an example. Let's say that I sinned against Roger. Not that I know of, but, you know, we'll say that I sinned against Roger. Roger's like, all right, what do I do with this? We're going to do this the way that Jesus tells us to do this in Matthew 18. So Roger comes up to me and he says, Joe, you've got to start randomly punching me. You know, whatever. Stealing from me. I don't know. Taking the produce out of my garden. You've got to quit doing that. Whatever that sin would be. You've got to quit doing that. You're sinning against me. And I'm like, Roger, grow up. I'm going to take your produce whether you want it or not. Roger says, okay, that's fine. No. Someone's sinning against you. What do you do then? You bring someone else with you. Because what are you doing? You are bringing another opportunity for that person to repent. And so this time I'm taking the peppers out of Roger's garden. You know, in Minnesota, we can't grow a lot of peppers. And so he's kind of getting annoyed with me. So he brings someone else. And he says, you know, Linda, see Roger. Roger says, Linda, see Joe's taking the peppers out of my garden. And so what is that? Now he's adding social pressure to me. Because that's the pressure we bring upon people. See, now these people now there's more people that are seeing this, and I say, you know what, you guys? Grow up. I'm gonna steal the peppers. I'm gonna take all the peppers. I want those peppers. And so then what do Roger and Linda do? They go to the congregation. And they say, hey, you group of people that Joe actually cares about. We think that Joe cares about. Go to the congregation and say, Joe's stealing Roger's peppers. And he's taking tomatoes too. Plant and all. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. (laughs) He left the carrots though. I don't know why. Um, (laughs) Carefree diet, you know. Um, but so then the, then the church comes and says, Hey, what are you doing? Stop doing that. What is that? That's another opportunity for me to repent. That's another test. That's another opportunity for me to walk in God's ways or to walk in my ways. Am I going to walk in humility or am I going to walk in pride? Am I going to follow Satan or am I going to follow Jesus? Like that's what that is. That's the church doing that. So now Roger had the opportunity to give me that test. That was, a, that was a nation for Roger because he doesn't like to confront me, you know, because I'm scary. That was, an, that was a test for Roger and Linda. That's a test for the church. Are we going to walk in faithfulness? It's also a test for me, and I'm going to walk in faithfulness. I'm failing. They're not. Thankfully, Roger doesn't have any produce in his garden right now. Otherwise, people would be worried. You know, and then the church really has the final test. How are we going to deal with this person? Now we have to treat them as a sinner and a tax collector. But we really like this guy. Well, are we going to do what God has to say? Or are we going to do what we want? So now we treat them as a sinner and a tax collector. Now we approach them as an outsider. We share the gospel with them. We encourage them to repent. We put pressure on them. We don't just let them into our trust. We treat them as an outsider. At every level, that's a war. 
That's a battle. That's what God's doing. Does this only happen because of sin? No. That's why we have Job up there. Not Job. Job. What happened with Job? One day, Satan was out walking around. And God called him in and said, Hey, Satan, have you seen my servant Job? He's pretty amazing. Satan said, Ah, he's only amazing because you protect him. I said, All right. I'll pull back some of my protection. So then Job got trials. Job's got battles. Job lost his money. Lost all of his animals. Lost his livestock. Lost his children. Then he didn't curse God, though. Did he lose something else in that first round? I don't remember. But he didn't curse God. He continued to be faithful to God. He continued to win the battle. And then Satan comes back to God and says, Ah, you're protecting him still. So God says, All right, you can have everything but his life. So then he loses his health. He loses his wife. She starts battling him. He loses his reputation. But what does Job do? Does Job curse God? Does Job say, God, I'm done with you. I'm done with you because you're not doing things my way. Because you know what? That'd be, that'd be the test. What does God say at the end of the book of Job? You are accepted. How do we know that God accepted Job? And Job's response to God. How do we know that Job walked in faithfulness, whereas all of Job's friends didn't? Those ones that were accusing him and attacking him. Because God or Satan used Job's friends too. Think about that. Job lost everything. His reputation and then even his friends. His friends did the most good when they sat there with him in silence. They opened their mouth. They messed it all up. You know, what happened? God said to Job, Job, you have to make sacrifice for these guys because they've sinned against me. But you haven't. Job walked in faithfulness all throughout this. Was it because of Job's sin? No, but through this, Job got to know God at a way deeper level. Through this difficulty, not because of Job's sin, but because of God's desire for Job to know him better. And so Job then was able to know him better, and Job was able to minister, and Job was able to go out from that point. And God blessed him. Did Job earn those blessings? No, Job didn't earn those blessings. You can't earn a blessing. It's a blessing. So God blessed Job. You know, on that one, it was an extended time. What happens? Why is it? You know, have any of you been through a difficult time and then learned a lesson? Been like, why am I still experiencing this? Sometimes we have to also learn habits. Not just a lesson. Like, now I know how to think about this properly. Now I've got to walk in this. You know, and that's a totally different lesson. Because one of the realities is, every hardship that I've ever gone through, yep, there's been more than one possible lesson. And so sometimes... God keeps me in those times of difficulty and those times of struggle and those times of hardship because he wants me to learn more. It's like, well, God, I learned one lesson. He says, sounds good. I've got 472 more. That's probably conservative. Um, 
You know, but that's what God's doing. Why do we keep going through these struggles? This is why. And so, why do you have struggles in your life? Trials, difficulties, hardships, frustrations, fears, anger, forgiveness. Why do you have to do any of that stuff? Why do you have to go through that? Why doesn't God just take care of this stuff? Why doesn't God just bring justice on the world right now? Why? He wants you to know what it means to follow him. He wants me to know what it means to follow him. He wants to test us so that we'll know his goodness and his truth, just like Job in way deeper ways than otherwise we would have. This is what God's doing in our world right now. But don't worry. These things are only to test you. That's what this is all about. Don't dig back and say, well, if I wouldn't have done this sin, you know, 18 years ago, this wouldn't happen. It's like, no, am I going to follow God today? If there's sin in your life that you haven't repented of, repent of it. Get rid of it. Confess it. Deal with it. And then say, all right, God, now that that's done with, am I going to follow you today, right now? Because that's where the battle is. That Even that repentance thing, when God convicts you of something, you're like, ah, God, that's been a long time. I don't want to deal with that. That's another test, too, by the way. Do God's thing. Repent, confess, receive his forgiveness. This is what he wants from us. He wants us to go deeper. Any questions? Not? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for testing us. Lord, we thank you that those tests aren't because you hate us, but rather because you love us. Lord, that you are giving us opportunities to be faithful to you. And I pray that we would pass those tests. Lord, and that we would glorify your name. Lord, that we would walk in righteousness, faithfully, in every aspect of our lives. Lord, and as we go through these trials and struggles and hardships and difficulties and frustrations, and Lord, you name it, as you bring these nations to bear upon us, I pray that we would walk in faithfulness in every way, Lord, for that's what it means to conquer. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that we can trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So one, one final thing, I apologize. Um, so where then is our battle? Is our battle against the other person? No. It's, a, it's against Satan. Like it's a spiritual battle. And so Roger can trust God to conquer me. It's not his job to make me repent. That's God's job. It's Roger's job to make sure that I know that what I've been doing is wrong. Roger's job, Roger and Linda's job, congregation's job, it's your job to make sure that I know the truth, not to make me repent. You can't make someone else repent. Only God can do that. So we let God conquer. We fight faithfully. And we trust God to conquer. And that's when, when the Israelites did that. It worked out pretty well for them.